This was written in the early 1970s. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul and disturb my sleep. Not enough to take control of my life. I want just enough to equal a cup of warm milk and just enough to ease some of the pain from my guilt. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I would like to find a love that is pocket-sized. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant, not enough to change my heart. I can only stand just enough to take to church when I have time, just enough to equal a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, but not a new birth. I would like to purchase a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. If it doesn't work, I'd like to get my money back. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I would like to hide some for a rainy day. Not enough for people to see a change in me. Not enough to impose any responsibility. Just enough to make folks think I'm okay. Could I just get $3 worth of God, please? I want us to consider this morning that there are times that we want to feel the love of God, not so much be loved by God. I have a friend who likes to date. He enjoys feeling the love that comes from someone that he is dating so that he can have that feeling of love and still do his own thing, live his own life, because he's got it in the order he wants it. Now, the danger comes when, when the girl he's dating decides that she really wants to love him. And then he says, no, 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 no. You're smothering me. Because to be loved by somebody means that we've got to be present. It means that we have to have an active relationship. It means that there are parts of our life that we now have to open up and we have to live life together. And what scares him is the possibility that she wants to live all of life together. We call that having commitment issues. To be loved by God is to spend time with him, to be present, to have a, an interactive relationship to open up our lives so that we live life together. And Jesus is pretty jealous. He says, I want all of it. So when we begin to have this relationship with Jesus, he messes with our lives, with our lists, with our likes, with our lusts. He insists on moving in. Sometimes we feel like he's smothering us because he wants to change the way we view life. He wants to change the way we think. He wants to change the way we treat other people. And so we just say, oh, no, thanks. I would like just $3 worth, please. The first century church in Corinth really liked being this, having the sense of being loved. They, they really enjoyed being committed to feeling that love. But they were not committed to being loved by God or being the love of God. When Pam and I got married and she moved in, 
I thought I had my life together. I found out it wasn't as together as I thought. So Pam began to show me things about how to love people. I'm, I'm naturally an introvert. She, she loves to be with people. If it's not a party, why bother? And she just loves hanging out with people, and she loves people, and she expresses love to people. She'll send cards to people. Her, her love language is giving gifts, and she's always communicating to people, talking to people, loving people, and, and communicating. So she would say to me, did you tell your dad today you love him? Why? He knows. No, you got to tell him. Hey, did you send the card to, why? Because you, you got to express that. And I would watch her, people would come to our house and they'd say, I really like that. And before they were gone, they were taking it, not because they stole it, because she gave it to them. I said, what are you doing? That's our dining room table. I'd say, where's that scarf I bought last week? Oh, well, she liked it, so I gave it to her. Have you seen my, yeah, I gave yours away too. so much time with her that her DNA of loving has changed my DNA. Not quite to her liking yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> Being the love of God in this world is having his lifeblood course through us so that it changes our DNA. Corinth was feeling, they were feeling God's love, and that's why they liked the tongues and the interpretation and the prophetic words and the mysteries revealed and all of the worship stuff that's described in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 in the beginning, as we looked at a few weeks ago, the beginning of chapter 13, all of that stuff, and they loved that stuff. But Paul said to them, but the problem is, what if it's only $3 worth of God? You can go on our website and see all the stuff we're doing and all the things. You know, we just got done with Royal Family Kids Camp, and, and it was an incredible event, and, and we've, we just got done with a community event to the, to the downtown of, of Erie, and we've done a bunch of stuff, and you could go on that. And the question is, is, as you look at that, is it only $3 worth of God? Because if we we're really loved by God, Paul said, we would be loving like God loves. And then Paul says, so let me describe to you what this looks like. He says, first, that love must have the right view. So your mother-in-law moves in and she's cranky. What is your view of her? How do you view her? I view her moving out. <laughs> you just met your new boss and, and, and he's very caustic. And I say, well, how do you view him? Uh, I view him being fired. That's what I view. How does Jesus view you? Paul says, let me describe to you the very passive and active expressions of God that, that reveal his view of you. And he starts in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, with these words. Love is patient. Love is kind. Probably the best way that I can describe that I have been able to grasp, because sometimes grasping who God is and what he does is just tough, and I'm glad we have Jesus because that makes it so real to us, but, but sometimes you get to see it in real life from other people who are the love of God to you. And, and the best description I can give you for this whole idea of love is patient is, is Pam and I have been, have been married 38 years, and, and in about our eighth year, I severely wounded her. 
and it was a bad thing. It hurt her so deep that she told me later that she was ready to take the kids and separate from me. And then she said, but I didn't. Because I wrote and had inscribed on the inside of your wedding band these words. I choose to love you. Love is patient. The kind of love that she portrayed to me did not originate in her. It originated in a God whose great mercy was extended to a humanity that rebelled against him. Because love is patient. Love is not just patient, because by patience itself, it may not be the best. So he said, love is patient and love is kind. Because you see, Pam could have. Pam could have said, I'm going to stay with you, and I'm going to make your life a living hell. She could have. And believe me, she could have. <laughs> she could have made me beg for forgiveness every day. She could have withheld her affection. She could have made our house feel like lake effect, frozen over. But instead, she embraced me and made me a better man. If you honestly look around you, you will see that God's kindness is found in the thousands of expressions of mercy that he gives to us every day. What does a God do with us who have betrayed him and, and turned our back on him? What does he do? Love is patient, love is kind. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only son while we were in this state of rebellion, that whoever would put their faith in Jesus would not be punished, they would not perish, but they would have an unimaginable life that would never vanish. You can't get that kind of view in your own life with just $3 worth of God. You say, but, but that, that's, just, that's just not natural. Exactly. Love behaves opposite of what seems natural. So I have a friend who, who for years before he was retired, he, he would travel, and when he would travel, he'd come back to his office, and, and he would have stopped at a place where they have his favorite chocolate. And so he'd bring in a bag of chocolate, and he very sparingly would share it with some of the folks around his office, and then he would take the rest, and he would put it in a sacred spot in his office, and he would only take a piece at a time, so it would last him for months. That's not natural. A couple months ago, Pam and I bought this, this, this chocolate bar that, that is an antioxidant. <laughs> yeah, dark chocolate. And I said, let's just take a little piece every day. About two days later, she walked in and she walked into the pantry and said, where's the chocolate bar? <laughs> what? Where did the chocolate bar go? What? <laughs> did you eat the whole thing? What? <laughs> Love brings us to a place that we've got to stop doing what has been natural for us up to that point. And Paul describes it this way. Talking about love, he says, it does not envy, it does not boast, 
It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So here are some things that we would normally do. I can be rude. I've told you that. Don't get in front of me on Peach Street. I will be rude to you. There are just some things, sometimes we lose our temper. There are just things we naturally do. And love through Jesus begins to transform us and says, you can't be that way anymore. And so the first thing he says is this, love stops competing. There are no longer any rivalries. In the church of Corinth, there was this thing happening, which was, my church is better than your church. And Paul says, no, 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 you need to understand that when God orchestrates something in a region, he sends some to plant, some to water, and some to harvest. And you're saying, oh, we're the harvest church. We're much more important. Our pastor's the harvest pastor. We have all the crowds and all the results. This is wonderful. Paul says, you can't do that. Our problem is this, that we have problems hanging on to and feeling that it is enough to just be able to identify that we're followers of Jesus. You say, but there's no attention in that. So, so, so I need to get my identity by being really good at something. And for me to be really good at something, I've got to be better than other people. And so we get our value from being better than someone else, that our team is better. I mean, you watch right now. Some of you are Steelers fans, and some of you are Browns fans. And, and if, if the Browns can beat the Steelers, now you feel better than those Steelers fans. And, and if, if the Steelers don't do well this year, because we just got our, our identity in that, it's, it's, not, it's not, well, basically we just say, well, it's a building year. <laughs> When's the last time you heard a Steelers fan say, they really stink, I hate them? It just, we find our identity in being better than, our church is better than yours. Our worship band is better than yours. Our worship style is better than yours. Our business is better than yours. And we find our identity being better than someone else so that we can grasp hold of something that makes us feel good. And Jesus said, what I made you to be is, is to feel great about the fact that I love you, and that's it. $3 worth of God says, I'm better than you, and love says, instead, what can I do for you? Why would I want to do something for you? Because you're somebody for whom Jesus died. You say, but if that happens, then I feel like I'm rather invisible. Well, okay. Love doesn't need to be seen. And that can be so subtle. So for over 20 years, this church had a TV program on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock called Fully Alive. Started with, with Pastor Jeff Bronner, then I came and I inherited it. And, and it was not unusual because it went into three states and into part of Canada. It was not unusual for me to be approached out in public four or five times a week by people saying, hey, you're that guy. You're that guy on TV. And I didn't realize how it was becoming part of my identity and my values. We had a neighbor that lived a couple, street, a couple of houses down on our street, and, and we had talked a lot, and, and, and he never really professed any kind of, of faith of, of really following Jesus. And one day we were talking, he said, hey, by the way, last Sunday I went into my office early and I watched your program. And I'm thinking, cool. He said, it's the only channel we can get on my old TV. <laughs> oh, cool. So we got to the spot that we, 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 we really felt like God said, that season is over. So we decided we, we were going to go off the air and, and, and not have the program anymore. So now here's my honesty. I had to wrestle 
with the fact that I would have anonymity. That somewhere in all of that, I began to realize that my value was being found in being the center of attention. Paul says, love does not boast. It does not need to be the center of attention. It does not need to sing the solo. It does not need to have the giftings that put it in front of everybody else. In fact, it is not possible to boast and to love at the same time. $3 religions want others to think highly of us. Love only wants what's good for the community. Love hides, but the good news is when love hides, God sees. That puts us in a place then that love replaces pride with grace. One night, Diane Sawyer was interviewing Billy Graham on ABC's News, and she asked him this question, Billy, when you die, how do you want people to remember you? And Billy said, I don't know how pe what people will think of me, but what I'd really like is to hear the Lord say to me when I get to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. Then he paused and looked at her and said, but I don't think that he will. <gasps> Billy Graham? He won't? See, love is not proud. Love understands that all of us have really deep issues we're still working with. And that to be arrogant, as if we have it together, is like buying $3 cheap glasses that blind us to the fact that there's a whole lot of grace covering areas in our lives right now. And that's why it's a whole lot easier to criticize than it is to confess. I can criticize because I think, well, I'm, I've got it better than you do. Confession says, I've, 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 I've got stuff. I've really got stuff. When you live a life of confession, you can't be proud. And you understand what others are going through, and so you love them and you walk with them instead of criticizing them. Love does not act inelegant. Recently, I was on a, a trip, and I, I flew. And coming back, or going down, I, I got bumped off my flight. And, and the gate agent said, that's okay, uh, we're going to give you this, and then we're going to put you on the next available flight so you make it really on time, and it, it was fine. I was going to make it on time. And I looked at my ticket, and it said, it gave me no seat assignment. So I went up to the new gate and to the new agent, and I said to her, I need a, a seat. And she looked at me surprised, and she said, they put you on this plane? I said, well, yes. And she said, we're full. So now I'm panicked because I've got to get there. So it just so happened, just right around the corner was the, the guest services division of this, this airline. So I went over there, and I, I said, they said that I could get on this flight. The gate agent said, they're full. I got no flight. The lady started looking. She said, well, we can put you on the next flight after that. I said, no, that's not going to work. You got to understand. They, they promised me. So then she said, would you like me to call a supervisor? I said, well, sure, call a supervisor, but I don't want to get anybody in trouble. She said, I'll call a supervisor. There was some information back and forth. She said, okay, go back to the gate. You're on the plane. I said, thank you. I walked back up, same gate agent. This lady looked at me and she said, you told them that I said you couldn't get on. <laughs> I said, I didn't say that. All I said was, you said the plane was full. She said, honey, I'll take care of you. Now I thought, I've ticked this woman off. She's upset because I got her in trouble. And when she said she's going to take care of me, oh, I bet she is. 
I'm going to end up either in the bathroom or between two sumo wrestlers. I know that's what she's going to do to me. <laughs> in about four minutes, she looked at me. She said like this, come here. Reminded me of my mom. I walked up, and she smiled, and she said, here you go. I told you I'd take care of you. It was a perfect seat. She was so sweet. Love is not rude. Unfortunately, with only $3 worth of God, we can't help but act shamefully or disgracefully to people who don't deserve grace. But love never publicly shames another, ever. Love feels no obligation to find itself, but instead finds the good for others. And I'm not saying we don't take care of ourselves. I'm not saying that we find out what's unhealthy in us and work on our lives, that we don't improve ourselves, we don't educate ourselves, we don't get healed inside. I'm not saying that at all, that we don't remain healthy. No, no, no. But love takes us further than that. Love says you are doing that so that you can then be ready to serve other people. It doesn't just stop with you. We have not arrived because we feel good about ourselves. We've arrived when God feels good about what we've become. Because love is not self-seeking. Love doesn't easily reveal a sharp edge. God's view of love that we should have is one of patience, and that means even patience with our emotions, and one of those things we deal with is anger. But understand that the leading edge of anger, that emotion is fear. Fear that something that was supposed to be ours is no longer ours because of the actions of this person. Love says, if you lean into God and understand his love, you'll understand the God who says to you that whatever I want you to have, someone else's actions or poor choices will never take from you because I will always give you what you need. And I'm stronger than they are, so I will make sure that when you think that it's been taken from you, I will make sure that you receive exactly what you need. That's why Jesus said when they take your shirt, give them your coat too because God's got you covered. Love is not easily angered. Anger is a word that comes from two words, meaning to be near and to sharpen. Love doesn't feel the need to be cutting or destructive because God has us covered. I remember reading about a, a couple that were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary and the granddaughter said to her grandmother, Grandma, you guys have been married how long? 50 years. Knowing some of the faults of her grandfather. She said, Grandma, how did you do that? How did you last for 50 years? She said, well, honey, just before we got married, I took a piece of paper and I wrote a list of everything, 10 things, 10 things that I would forgive your grandfather for. She said, well, Grandma, how did that work? She said, well, every time your grandfather hurt me, I said to myself, good thing that's on the list. See, the truth of the matter is there was no list. She just decided that no matter what it was, it went on a list in her mind of forgiveness. See, love stops keeping lists of offense. It just stops. Forgiveness has no IOUs. $3 worth of God carries IOUs. When God forgives, he forgets. It's his choice. And he said we should follow his lead. 
For love keeps no record of wrongs. Folks, listen to me. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If you're in a relationship, especially if you're married, love keeps no record of wrongs. Did I tell you that love keeps no record of wrongs? What did I just tell you? Yeah. Love refuses to express what Jesus would not. See, how many of you, well, let's just not have you raise your hand. Just think about it. Think in your mind, somebody who's your enemy. Just think. Or somebody that you just, when you think of them, you just kind of grit your teeth. And you wish Jesus would go zzzz. <laughs> it is natural for us to be happy about their failure. And sad about their success. Love is the opposite. Oh, see, this is the tough one. Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's been falsely accused, and his own humanity has turned against him and put him there. He is going to carry all the sins of the world, this one who has never, ever felt that kind of, of pollution in his life. And what does he say? He doesn't say, Sick him, God. He says, Father, forgive them. He prays a prayer of blessing on them. Love does not delight what causes pain for another. It doesn't gossip and say, hey, did you hear about? They deserve that. Is going to happen. You know it's going to happen. In fact, here's what love does. Love begins to understand that a person who is wicked or a person who is mean or a person who is abusive, a person who is not what you think they should be if God was, was forming them, love begins to understand that that person is broken inside. Because you've been broken inside. In fact, maybe when I said, think about somebody who sets your teeth on edge, they thought about you. Love begins to look and, and realizes that deep down inside, there is a, there's a warfare, there's a battle, there's a destruction, there is, there is this annihilation of what is right and being replaced by that which is evil. And all the hosts of, of, of hell are, are excited about what is transpiring and love weeps over that the same way that Jesus sat over a city that was wicked and began to cry and said, if only you knew how I wanted to gather you around like a hen gathers her chicks and to give you comfort. If only you knew. So we don't rejoice when, when evil is happening. We don't rejoice when someone's hurt, even if we think they, they, they deserved it. Love takes us further, though, because it says that when they have success, you celebrate. Why? Because the kindness of God, the Scripture says, leads to repentance. That maybe in the blessings of God, that person will begin to understand that God is doing something very special for them, and it will begin to create in them an awareness of a God thing around them. And here's where love really takes us deep, and you can't go that way with a $3 God. 
Sometimes God sends you to them to be that expression of kindness. For that to happen, Paul, just says, Paul says this to us, that love must have tenacity in the present, present and confidence in the future. Has to have tenacity in the present and confidence in the future. And then he uses this word, always. Always. Not sometimes, always. Always. And so he says this, verse 7, about love. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So Jesus says this love always goes from the, the, the person that you love in that relationship all the way to the person that you want to hate that is your enemy. It covers the whole thing. Now keep in mind, this is the whole thing, and it's always, it's always, it's always. What is it? Always. It covers the whole thing. You with me? The whole thing. It's always and the whole thing. Did I mention it's always and the whole thing? Okay. You take the two words of those four, the ending and the beginning. He says it protects and it endures. The word protects actually is a word that means to build a roof. Paul says love puts up a roof and keeps it there. If we love as God loves, we say to God, what do we need to do, God, to keep these people safe? What do we need to build over them to keep them safe so they reach your destiny? Even my enemy, how do I keep them safe so that they reach your destiny? What can I do to cover them with love, with my care, with my prayers, with my protection, so that they can hear your voice and come to you? What can I do? And no matter how they respond, because sometimes when God begins to deal with people, they strike out at the people closest to them that look like God. And so when God's dealing with someone, they can't yell at God, they can't beat on God like they did Jesus, so they'll beat on you, they will abuse you, they will be verbally abusive to you, and you say, but love says, I will endure that so that they stay covered, that they eventually will see you and come to you. That's what love does, that's what Jesus did. To do that, love never ceases to have faith and it never loses hope. Always trust, and the word actually means always has faith and always has confidence, always has hope. It is this joy in believing. It is this faith that believes and a confidence that will happen that no matter if it's me or my family, or my friends, or my enemies, that no matter how much we mess up, love has this ability to clean us up. Now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We won't get to this place with just a $3 worth of God. We have to let his lifeblood flow through us. We have to let him change our DNA. So to do that, let's live it out. So can you do this this week? Daily read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through verse sentence of verse 8, and put the name of Jesus where you find the word love. 
And then you see how those descriptions are true of Jesus. Then secondly, read it again, and this time place your name where you find the word love. And in what ways could you live life this week to be more like that description? Confess that to God and ask him to help you. And in the next five weeks, we're going to find practical ways to love as we look at how Paul, what Paul calls the evidence of the Holy Spirit teaching us to love. We call it love works. Some call it the fruit of the Spirit. Love does work. So in the end, three things remain. What are they? And the greatest of these? So be great this week. God bless you. Love each other. Goodbye.